Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, I was starting to, to look like what every parent fears the most. And those parents already out there know what I'm talking about. You see, his son has been ill for some time now. And the doctors are saying that that things are taking a turn for the worse. Now certainly his position as a nobleman would give him some perk or some benefit or at least access to better, better medical chances for his son. A house that was once filled with joy and happiness is now being filled with, with despair, fear, anger, and depression. The servants are doing, they're doing everything they can. They're tending to the boy's needs. They're making sure he's drinking his fluids. He's eating so he can keep his strength up. But nothing seems to be doing the trick. Now, as a father, what do you do? What do you do in this situation? What can you do? Perhaps you pace the floor back and forth. That'll help maybe at least keep your mind busy. Or you sit by his side, holding his hand. Or at least you try to use your position and power to demand that your son be healed in some way. But nothing is working. And as he looks at his son lying in the bed, the father knows he's coming to a realization that his time with him is is coming short. It's coming to an end. And perhaps the best thing to do right now is just to hold his hand and simply wait by his side. That he's not alone. And as he does that, Master, I was just told that Jesus of Nazareth is in Cana right now. Right now? Well, that's, that's, that's 20 miles away. That's at least a day's travel to get there. What, what if my son doesn't make it in time? What if I'm not here when it happens? And looking back to his son and seeing him laying on the bed there, with sickness taking his life away every minute, he looks to his servants and he says, Get your things. We leave for Cana immediately. Father, we pray right now that this word, that this scripture, that this message be for your people. May we reflect on what it is that you want us to know today. As we look through what John has written on paper, Father, I pray as your messenger that I only speak the truth, the gospel. I only speak what you want to speak, Lord. Like God, I pray these things because if I say something that isn't right, that isn't, it's incorrect, then correct me, Lord. I want your gospel heard today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we pick up where our journey left off last week. Not long after the first sign, if you remember, or a miracle as they're sometimes called. Now, if you recall, 
Jesus had just performed the first miracle at a wedding feast. We talked about it all last week. He turned water into wine. That's an interesting miracle, but that's what he did. Now this, of course, was just a very subtle but powerful way to showcase that he is the long-awaited Messiah. He didn't take credit for the miracle, but those who saw it, those who were there, they started to believe, to believe that he was the one. This is because they saw with their eyes the miracle that took place. They watched him do something that wasn't humanly possible. And because of this, then they believed. And this included some of his own disciples, I may add, who were following him with some assurance, but got total assurance on that night. So let's just take a look and see what Jesus has been up to since he turned water to wine. Well, after the wedding, he meets with the Pharisee, one of those guys. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus called for a meeting. He wanted to meet this Jesus, but he wanted to do it in secret and at night when no one will know, no one can see. Nicodemus, you see, is starting to believe that Jesus just might be that prophet, the one they've been waiting for. So he has questions. And in the secret, as Jesus and Nicodemus are meeting at night, Jesus tells them, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, Nicodemus. And after leaving that meeting, Jesus stops. Well, I guess he got thirsty. And he stopped at a well in Samaria of all places. And he meets a woman there. And this was no accidental meeting. The woman was an outcast living in the trenches of life. Because of her lifestyle, no one wanted to be around her. No one wanted to talk to her or even be seen with her. That is until she heard a voice at the well. Will you give me a drink? And that simple question led to a conversation of Jesus revealing to a sinful woman that he is the Messiah. And yes, you are forgiven. And because of this little talk at the well, you see this woman invited Jesus to stay in her town for a little while. And so he did. And after a few days, the majority of the city came to believe that he was the long-awaited Messiah from this sinful woman. Now, it's time to be on the move again. This guy doesn't stick around anywhere. He just moves around. It's like an officer almost. Can't keep a job. Just keep moving around. Well, funny enough, Jesus decides to go back where he just came from. He wants to go back to Galilee. So when he returned, the scripture says in John 4 that he was welcomed back with open arms. Now he's back a second time. They've seen him already in the first round. Now he's back a second time and they welcome him back. Come back. We like it when you're here. But you see, they're, the townspeople don't realize. See, they, they like him because he could do miracles. And they, they keep hearing these things. So they welcome him back with open arms. But they don't realize at the time 
was that their welcomed arms actually had rejection written all over them. You see, the scripture says that they welcomed Jesus because they had seen what he can do. Or at least some of them may have heard what he can do. It was a selfish welcome. Yeah, come back. We want you here. You're welcomed here because I might get something out of this this time. Maybe he'll do something for me. Or at least at the very minimum, maybe I'll be entertained from what I'm watching. Their opened arms were actually facing inward like this. And Jesus wasn't having it. I don't know if you actually go back and read the scripture there. He wasn't impressed with the open arms, with the welcome. And when he returned to the region of Galilee, he told his disciples, let's go back to Cana. The wedding, where we just came back from the wedding? Yeah, let's go back there. And so they did. Now, technically, right now in Scripture so far, Cana is still on record the only city where a miracle has taken place. There has been no written miracle in Scripture past the water and wine. And so now he returns back to that city. And his reputation has followed him. Man, my guess, probably from the grapevine, people are talking about him. I want to know exactly what can he do. Now, also, let me just say, it probably wasn't uncommon by this time that while Jesus was out in public and his reputation was growing and growing, that little entourages or maybe paparazzi started to pop their heads out when he was around. That when he got out in public, it was probably difficult for him to be on his own by himself. You know what? I'm going to tell you this. I saw this very exact same situation, same thing, just yesterday. Let me tell you about this. You see, yesterday, me and Josh, we went and he went to go watch Eli play baseball. Oh, you didn't know I was going to say that, did you? He went like this, hmm? Eli played baseball. Let me tell you, I went there to watch the game. It was in a tournament. And Eli, wound up, he went up to the plate, right? He went up there. He had his, his bat. I, Eli, I want you to know I, I saw you do this. You looked back to the stands where we were, and all you did is gave us the nod. <laughs> yeah. And then that pitcher threw the ball, and it went right down the plate, and in the first swing, gone, all the way out to the outfield. And here goes Eli making a beeline and got on base. They went on to win that game. Because I'm confident, Eli, it's because of your hit. That's why you won. Forget that the score was 13 to 3. That didn't matter. All right? It was because of your hit. Now, let me tell you, is that after the game, I'm sitting around and talking to Jeremy and everyone else, and I learned and I discovered that one of Eli's head coaches is an alumni, a, a person who played for the Braves. Well, no wonder why it was 13 to 3. But here's this coach. He's an alumni. If I said his name, you would know him very well, especially if you follow baseball. And what I watched after the game was a line of people, parents and kids, lining, even the coaches from the other team that just lost, going over there and saying, can I have your autograph? Can I get a picture? Get a, here's my kid. 
So this is where, Jeremy, do I say where I was one of those ones? Okay, all right. So Josh, go meet this guy, right? And so here there's this long line. And this, and this, this coach, this brave, wanted just probably to celebrate with this team and just say, good job and well done. But now he's surrounded by the public. He's been out. He, they recognize him. They see him. And so I asked Jeremy, does this happen all the time? And Jeremy says, all the time. He said, he went on to tell me that actually the other coaches do their best to protect him. Not from harm, but for time. Otherwise, this is the only thing he'll do the whole time. And he just wants to be a coach on a, little, on a baseball team. And that's what we try to do. And I'm going to tell you that I walked out of that experience realizing, I know why he won 13-3, to but walking out of that experience saying that this must have been what the disciples were feeling like. This is what they must have viewed Jesus, that they saw him when he was in public. Everyone wanted just surround him. They wanted to be around. Can you, talk? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? And I'm going to tell you that here is that, that people would surround him and the disciples would try to protect him all the time in Scripture. Otherwise, I'm sure the disciples felt like in their own heart and soul, is that they would feel like Jesus can't get any work done with all these people here. These people are the reason why he can't go and be and do Messiah things. But what we see right now in Scripture, here in John chapter 4, is that Jesus is freely available. No protection, no one around. There's no walls, there's no gatekeepers who are controlling who gets to see Jesus right now. I'm going to tell you that some things never change over time, do they? For some reason, over time, the church, even still today, wants to act like a gatekeeper to the master of the universe. I'm going to tell you now, he doesn't need us to screen or protect him. Acting like sometimes that we're concerned for him, when in reality we're concerned about us. Our reputation and our image when they go and meet Jesus for the first time. When will we learn, oh church, including myself, that we are not gatekeepers to the Messiah? We are ushers to his presence, to him. This is who we are. All of us, those who claim on the name of Jesus, we've been in that position, we've been to that place, and now we're ushers. Imagine how many people over the course of history have come seeking Jesus to only be greeted with one of these. Stop. Stop. Screening. The thing about Jesus is that he welcomes all. He welcomes you right now as you are. Come here. Come see me. Now, if you don't believe me, now I know maybe some of you don't. If you don't believe me, then read John 4, 46. When that desperate, noble man approaches him from his travels. He's finally now made his way all the way to Cana. And he's standing there before Jesus. And this, I'm going to tell you right now, is an interesting interaction between these two men, between this, this nobleman of high class and Jesus. 
And it's not, what makes it interesting isn't, isn't because of the request of the nobleman, not because of what he's asking, but because these two people, this, this Roman nobleman and this Jesus of Nazareth, couldn't have been more different than each other. The nobleman was most likely an aristocrat in Herod's courts. He would have been highly influenced by the Roman culture of the time. He was wealthy. He was u- he's used to people waiting on him. You do as I say, come as my command. This guy has position and power without question. He would have had, no question, multiple servants who waited on his every need, who did his every becking and call. And Jesus was homeless. He had no position. He had no power. Jesus was, he was a servant, tending to the needs of others, concerned about others. Something the normal man never would have given thought about. These two men couldn't have been more different. But yet here is this man now standing face to face with this Jesus. Jesus owes this man nothing. And the local townspeople would have agreed. You owe him nothing. He's only taken from us and our people. He represents the opposite of who we are. Jesus, you owe him nothing, and he should get nothing in return. All he's taken is from us. But nonetheless, what we read in Scripture is that this noble man humbled himself and begged and pleaded with him, please, please, my son is sick and dying. Please heal him. If what I'm hearing is true, If what people are telling me is true, I know you can do it. Please follow me home. Please, please follow me home, and I will take you straight to him. Please just touch him. Do anything. Just follow me home. And in this moment, knowing that many ears and many eyes of the townspeople in Cana are watching this interaction, Jesus doesn't talk to the man. He then looks to the crowd and he tells them, all of you, all of you here, you're here because you won't believe unless you see a miraculous sign and wonders. That's the only reason why you're here. In other words, he's telling them, you're not getting a show for me today. That's not why I'm here. To impress you, to show you, to have your faith be based on my works. This man's misery isn't for your entertainment. And then Jesus turns and looks at the man. And all he simply says, all we get in Scripture, you may go. Your son will not die. Go. Now, this is where it gets good. The Scripture says, That the man, the wealthy aristocrat, the one who worships pagan gods, whose needs are catered to at every minute of the day, that this man took Jesus at his word. He took him at his word. He didn't ask for proof. He didn't ask for a sign. 
In fact, he didn't even say, can you at least wave your hands so I feel good about something? Scripture just says that he just took him at his word. And then he departed for the day's journey back home. This man has traveled a full day for a 10-minute interaction with this man named Jesus to only then turn around and start going back home. And on the way home, Scripture says, when he was with his little entourage of poly servants that traveled with him, that on the way home, before they can even get to the house, to where they were going, it says that one of his other servants was running in the distance. He can see him coming. And he was running, Master, Master. And he finally reaches him and says, Master, I left as soon as it happened. Your son is healed. It's gone. Whatever, the, he's up. He's, he's, the sickness is not there anymore. He's healed. And now you can imagine the noble man now. Just thinking about, wait, 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 wait. The scripture even says, wait, wait, wait. Stop, stop. Tell me. I need to know this. Tell me. When did it happen? I want to know the time. Tell me the time it happened. And the servant said it happened yesterday at 1 p.m. That's when I was with Jesus. That was the same time he said, go. Your son will not die. And so this man goes all the way back home. Hmm. And because of the faith of this father, the son was healed. Now there is something that is easily missed if we don't stop and reflect on the story. Something that we can look and glaze over. Yes, I want to say today that this is a story about a sick boy that gets healed. And hallelujah, because that can happen. It can happen. These things happen by our God. But notice and pay attention that this story, that the sick boy is only a secondary character. He's not the main. This story doesn't evolve around him. He's left in bed. This story is about the Father. This is a story about what real faith looks like in action. A story of what faith looks like when we are living the worst case scenario. It doesn't get worse than this. The news I just got doesn't get worse than this. And I'm going to say it takes faith to leave your son behind on his deathbed in hopes to find that one person that might be able to heal him. Now I'm going to say that this is when most people go to seek the Lord in this situation. And it's in these moments when we're living our worst case scenario that we go out and we cry out to the Lord, Lord, hear me. I'm crying out, Lord. These are the times when I cry out in my worst case scenario that I stand and say, Lord, hear me. Your servant is calling. And I want you to just say, just, just notice too often, too often that this is where most of our faith journeys come to an end because we missed it. 
Notice the father. He had to travel back without any proof. Jesus was taken at his word. So how did the father, in this case, display his faith? I want you to follow me here. How did this father display his faith? Because when I research, when I read, when I look at this scripture, everything indicates that the father casually made his way home. He was not in a rush. There was no sense of urgency or emergency to return back. And how do we know this? How do we know that? We know it by mileage. We know it by distance. We know it by context. But how we really know it is we know it that the servant left the house the moment his son was healed, and it took him an entire day to reach him after he left. He was, he was, the father here was heading home at an easy pace, a pace of peace. It was a pace of urgency on the way there. Lord, please. But on the way back, it was a pace of peace. A pace of peace. If that servant left as soon as the boy was healed to go tell the master that his son would make it, tells me that his father had a pace of peace. We so often travel to God. I'm included in this, by the way. We so often travel to God with faith. We sense urgency. We run to him with faith. But yet, we leave his presence somehow picking up worry and fear on the way back home. After reading this story, after looking at this chapter in John 4, and perhaps it's just seeing it through the eyes that I currently have at the moment. But the more I read this story, the more I realize that this isn't a story about saving the son. But it's a story about saving the father. You see, the father, he displayed and he the faith he displayed, the trust he gained in this interaction changed not only his son, but it changed him. Because he went back as an entire family came to know the Lord. That my house now will worship the only true God. Jesus was saving the Father so that an entire house can be saved. A whole house can be. Jesus could have easily just healed the boy. That would have been a miraculous thing in of itself. But I'm going to tell you now that he wasn't only interested in the young boy. He was interested in the entire house. He wants the whole house. This is for us, fathers, husbands. This is for us. What you do in your house matters. It matters. You are spiritual leaders to your family, as am I. And not just on Sunday morning behind this pulpit. I am responsible for the spiritual well-being of my family. And when life gives us the worst-case scenario... What are you going to do? Men, what are you going to do when life gives the worst case scenario in your house? Now, I wanted to say a moment here that I know that in this congregation, those watching online are hearing my voice in some other way. 
that there are single moms here that are doing the job of both. Maybe your man ran from his responsibility. Maybe he neglected you. Maybe he cheated on you. Or maybe your husband went to be with the Lord. But I want you to hear from me as I felt in my spirit when I was reading this. You are not alone. Hear me when I say this. God sees you. He sees you. You're not forgotten. You're not neglected by him. He sees you. Yeah, I'm going to say right now, it's unfair. Completely unfair. But I assure you, he knows and sees you. And being raised from a single mom myself, and that's a story I love to tell one day about how my dad came to know the Lord and we ended up in a really great relationship, but he missed a big chunk of my life. And being raised by a single mom, and this is Paul talking, this is not scripture talking. I want to make sure I'm clear about that. But when I look at my mom, I have to believe that a single mom who prays and has faith must have a double blessing awaiting. That's how my heart feels. Mom, I know you're watching. I'll talk to you later. But I'm going to say this morning, does anyone here in this room need faith like this nobleman? Is there anyone right now in this room that is living the worst case scenario? You have something right now that is eating your heart, your mind, your body? Is there anything right now that you need to bring and rush to the Savior as urgent matter? in a case of sense of emergency. Because I know I do. I have these things. Is there a husband or a father here right now that needs some saving? Some readjust, just to tune back up with the Savior so then you can lead your family and be there for them. Right now, is your health, is your maybe upcoming surgery causing fear and anxiety in your heart and your soul? Is there pending divorce? Are you jobless? Whatever it is, perhaps you have something to go to Jesus with on someone else's behalf. Like the father and his son. Lord, hear me. Let me just bring you back and you can heal him. Who is on your heart? Who's on your mind? What sense of urgency do you have to bring to him? Well, this is the part where I say, don't waste any more time listening to me. But go to Jesus. Take it to him. As I get older, I realize that I too am only man, flesh and blood. I used to be young and energetic and now I'm getting old. See the gray right here? There will be a day where I stand before him and I have to answer for my account. But in the meantime, I'm going to tell you about him. And I can tell you this. If you've got anything right now in your heart that needs forgiving, then you come and ask for forgiveness. 
And I'm talking to the ones who've been with Jesus for some time. Are you struggling with your faith? Then come to the one who provides faith. Let him renew you. Let him heal you. Maybe the healing isn't just physical. Maybe it's mental as well. The worry and the stress and anxiety of the world. I'm going to tell you, I can't be, I'm not the one that can fix these things. But I know who can. I wouldn't give my life talking about them if I didn't believe it. I go work in finance or something like that. But I believe that the Jesus we're reading about in the scripture, in the Bible, the one that healed this man's son 2,000 years ago, can heal your body right now. That he can heal your family right now. That he isn't silent. He's not some God we put on a pedestal. But he's here in this room with us and his presence is with us. We serve a powerful God. I believe that. And I give my life to you, Lord. All this is for you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.